everybody this is propaganda anonymous and you are tuned in to the propanon podcast join me as i explore topics discussed in the work of robert anton wilson and interview some of the coolest people in the world what do we talk about on the propanon podcast we talk story we talk symbolic anthropology crime and criminology alternative reality games and UFOs. We talk conspiracy theory, comedy, comic books and quantum physics, liberation theology, negative theology, terrorism and music, sex, magic and drugs, psychedelics, housing and love. This is the Propanon Podcast. Tune in. Open your fucking ears, jackass. All right, everyone, we're going to get right into it. In this episode, I interview Adam Go-Rightly, Discordian historian, researcher, and writer of some of the most interesting books I've read in years. What has he written? Well, uh, Gorightly has written books like The Prankster and the Conspiracy, a biography of Discordianism co-founder Carrie Thornley, a very interesting read. He has also written the book Caught in the Crossfire, which was about the drama that occurred when Carrie Thornley was accused by Jim Garrison of being somehow involved in the JFK assassination. Uh, another book that Adam Rightly has written was called Historia Discordia, which is, uh, the name kind of says it all. It has a lot of really great historical source materials from the original Discordians, uh, Mr. Rightly put in the form of a book. Uh, it's really cool. I definitely recommend that book for those who are interested in Discordianism and the work of Robert Anton Wilson. And uh, Anna Rightly's newest book is, for me, perhaps his most exciting. Uh, the book is called Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks, UFO Disinformation in the Age of Aquarius. Says a lot right there. So, uh, wow, this book was so great. The interview was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, speaking with Adam Gorightly. Um, when I spoke with him, uh, you know, the context around the topic of UFOs has changed uh, when the U.S. government uh, officially acknowledged their existence last year. Um, Gorightly, uh, he was. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, what's what I really love about this book too is that you know Go Rightly is not writing uh, as an outsider looking in. You can tell by the way that he writes is that he was involved in that uh, UFO researcher scene that was so big in the '90s. Um, perhaps got really sparked off when uh, Agent Mulder from the X Files, you know, wanted to believe that there was something out there, and uh, this book details some of the tropes, if not most of the tropes that occur in, in the show X-Files uh, around the notion of uh, UFO abduction stories and uh, the UFO conspiracy law, law and UFO conspiracy lore in general. Uh, it's all poured into this book. As you'll hear, Go Rightly provides the history of modern UFO phenomenon with a skeptic's eye and finds possible reasons for these crazy stories. What do I mean? Well, some of these wild stories could be cover-ups for something a lot more regular happening, but yet illegal 
and something the government did not want everyday citizens to know. So better have them thinking about crazy, wild alien abduction, cattle mutilation, uh, deep underground military bases where shape-shifting reptilian aliens drink the blood of young children, all that as a distraction to get people away from thinking or researching perhaps some atomic energy testing being done in the area and that causing the death of cows from radiation exposure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Go Rightly gets into this in such a clear, concise way in his book, as I said, as he unpacks many of these tropes that have emerged within uh, UFO conspiracy lore over the last 50 years, 60 years. Um, What a great read this was. And uh, through unpacking these tropes, okay. What a great read this was. And what a great interview this was too. Why is this book important? Well, let's find out. Let's listen to Adam go rightly and see what he has to say. What was the impetus of the book? What, what, was what got the book started for you? The impetus uh, was a interview with a guy named uh, Talavesk. Oh my gosh, more than uh, 10 years ago or so. And that uh, initially was just going to be a long article I wrote called My Breakfast with Tal, which appears as a uh, chapter in the book. But then as you'll uh, discover if you uh, read the book, uh, Talavesque was key in propagating, among other things, the Dulce base mythos. And so uh, after I met with uh, Tal and interviewed him and started interacting with him, I started looking deeper into the Dulce base mythos. And, uh, and so that original article I planned just kind of kept uh, growing to the point where it really wasn't an article anymore. It was, it was becoming a book. And uh, beyond the Dulce base uh, mythos, I saw how a lot of these other stories in UFO lore were kind of all connected uh, to uh, Talavesque and the Dulce base story and Paul Benowitz and Richard Doty were connected to uh, the Dulce Bay story, but they were also connected with promoting the MJ-12 materials back in the uh, 1980s. And that story kind of connects to Area 51 and what was going on uh, there. So all of this over time just kept growing and uh, growing. And like I said, I spent probably more than 10 years on it because it was one of those things that I'd work on for a while and put on the back burner. Then I was working on other, you know, some of the Discordian related uh, books and probably about after I got all of those out of the way about five years ago, I finally settled in and said, my God, I'm going to finish this book. And I finally did. I think what's, what's really well done is just, you know, how clearly you lay it out. Um, you know, beginning with, uh, was it in 1950 when uh, that book written by Frank Scully, mm-hmm. uh, you know, based on an, an interview of 
that guy Silas Newton. And, you know, as you write in the book, um, the Scully was told that he was visited by some uh, government agents who he was unsure of what department or, or where they were from. And they told him that the information that he put in his book was, was false, but to also keep putting it out there and I guess, you know, lecturing or, you know, talking about it to the media. Can we trace it through a little bit? Yeah, you know, and that's the story too. That uh, there was a researcher named Carl Flock who uh, looked into uh, the Roswell crash, uh, for instance, and he was a former um, CIA, he worked for the CIA in some capacity. So that's how he uh, caught wind of that story that these government agents, whoever they were, were not quite exactly sure. You know, there's no documentation beyond Carl Flock that that actually happened. But uh, so, you know, you get into an area of what is disinformation as opposed to what is uh, misinformation, you know, and, you know, disinformation is uh, really orchestrated, targeted uh, campaign to deceive or promote some false narrative, you know, and so that's part of uh, UFO lore over the years, the different disinformation, but then you have misinformation as well. People pick up on some of these false stories or they, uh, unintentionally uh, pass along uh, bad information, you know, or uh, sketchy information about some type of UFO events, not uh, necessarily uh, intending to spread disinformation, but, you know, spreading misinformation. So, yeah, there's different types of uh, bad information that get out there. And in the case of uh, Scully is interesting in that uh, book he uh, wrote and repeated the story, which was based on bunk <laughs> information that uh, Silas Newton and the, this other character gave him or passed along that there had been a crash in uh, Aztec, New Mexico. And uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, date they had on it, but it really doesn't matter. It was probably a bullshit uh, story, but it was in the late uh, 40s. And that kind of started the crash uh, flying saucer mythos. And later, the, the that Aztec story or the st story uh, Frank Scully passed along was basically uh, repeated in the... Uh, Roswell crash story. It had all the uh, same elements. And you see these patterns again and again. There's been a number of uh, quote unquote supposed uh, UFO crashes that happened uh, during that uh, period, you know, uh, in the late 40s and uh, 50s. And whatever actually happened, if there was crashes, I mean, in some accounts, you know, they say it was government weather balloons, perhaps the uh, UFO crash meme to cover up what was going on there with, uh, you know, a lot of the, the mogul weather balloons, uh, for instance, which were used to uh, basically weather balloons they'd launch and they were, the government was monitoring uh, radiation levels of, you know, if there was a uh, atomic uh, bomb testing going on uh, in other places, Russia or wherever. 
those uh, balloons could pick up on uh, that. And uh, that, you know, that's part of the uh, whole Roswell crash mythos. There's different theories and explanations. And uh, one of them was that it was one of these uh, mogul balloons. And so, uh, you know, you get into disinformation and uh, start asking the questions, well, was, you know, this whole Roswell crash story devised to uh, cover up something else. When was uh, Project Gas Buggy? Yeah, that's an important part of uh, the Dulce Base story. And that was at 1967 near in the area of Dulce, uh, New Mexico. There were these experimental uh, atomic bomb blasts, underground blasts. And what they were doing was uh, basically it was an early form of uh, fracking. They were trying to uh, release natural gas reserves, then trap them and, you know, be able to use those. And, uh, but it didn't quite work out, you know, once <laughs> after the bomb blast, it, uh, this is something the Department of Energy was doing. Uh, they couldn't uh, control the uh, gas or the radiation was a byproduct that uh, leaked out, you know. So it, it was unsuccessful, but uh, what is said to have uh, happened in relation to uh, the Dulce story, and this is one of, one of, one of the many... Uh, Oh, theories or claims uh, regarding that was this bomb blast uh, created an underground uh, cavern, which was later expanded upon and uh, was used to build this uh, secret Dulce base where supposedly aliens and the government would later have a uh, secret treaty. And yeah, a lot of, to unpack here, but... Uh, so when we get to uh, this kind of brings in the whole uh, Paul Benowitz, uh, Richard Doty uh, story. And so that was 67 uh, Project uh, Gas Buggy. And that, like I said, that was in the area of uh, Dulce, New Mexico and the Hickoria Indian uh, Reservation. And uh, in the mid 70s is when a lot of the um, cattle mutilations uh, started in that area and across the American uh, Southwest. And um, also in uh, oftentimes in combination with uh, these uh, mutilations, there was UFO sightings. Sometimes there was uh, black helicopter sightings. In conjunction with UFO uh, sightings. And I get into uh, Gabe Valdez. He was a state a trooper there in uh, Dulce, New Mexico. He was one of the first people looking into this uh, phenomenon, uh, along with a lot of other people trying to figure out uh, what was uh, going on. And uh, so he became one of the advocates pushing to find out, you know, who are mutilating these uh, cattle and bringing them to justice. And along the way, he uh, encountered all this high weirdness. Once again, uh, strange lights that were seen in tandem or in the same areas as these uh, mutilations, as well as uh, sometimes, you know, these military helicopters. And so there was a lot of theories swirling around what was uh, 
going on here. One, one of them is that um, cattle uh, really make good subjects for testing radiation and cancer. And so, you know, that's one of the uh, theories that the government were testing these uh, cattles. That's why they were, the mutilations were uh, happening and that they were using uh, reports or false reports of uh, UFOs once again in tandem with these uh, helicopters. But inevitably at the end of the day, there was so much going on here and maybe uh, so much disinformation and misinformation uh, with these cases that nobody could ever really figure out exactly what was going on with all of this. But this was an area, Paul Benowitz, who uh, was uh, basically a physicist and he had a company called uh, Thunder Dynamics. I'm forgetting the name now, but he did government uh, contract and avionics and aviation. And he uh, lived near uh, Kirtland Air Force uh, Base and he was a UFO uh, enthusiast, shall we say. He belonged to the uh, APRO, which was one of the early uh, UFO organizations. And he was also a, interested in cattle mutilations as well. And he was a friend of uh, Gabe Valdez. And so he was looking into all of this uh, stuff. Uh, and the thing that really got him going on uh, UFO uh, sightings was he lived adjacent to Kirtland Air Force Base, as I said, which hosts Sandia Labs and uh, also the Monsanto's uh, weapons area that at the time, and we're, now we're in the uh, late 70s, hosted the largest uh, cache of nuclear weapon uh, components. And it was over uh, this Monsanto weapons area, once again, in Kirtland base adjacent to his house that he started seeing some strange lights, UFOs, you know, right over this facility, which uh, alarmed him. He felt it was a national security threat. He started uh, filming these things. He also kind of a mad genius dude. He was setting up uh, different type of listening devices to pick up signals and whatnot. And he also started um, picking up these uh, signals as well, which over time he became, began to believe were communications uh, of aliens. And uh, so he started reporting this to the officials at uh, Kirtland base, one of whom was uh, Richard Doty, who plays uh, a pretty large role in the disinformation uh, angle of this uh, story. And so, like I said, he reported that to uh, the officials at uh, Kirtland, wanted to get some, tried to get a government uh, contract from them uh, to do more uh, research and what was uh, going on. And they kind of humored him, but he felt they weren't, uh, taking him uh, seriously. And so he started contacting uh, different uh, state senators or the U.S. Senator uh, for uh, New Mexico. There was a couple, Pete Domenici and Harrison Schmidt. And he was passing on information because one of the things that happened during this uh, period, they had some sightings over uh, 
Kirtland, this kind of plays into what's going on now, you know, with this interest in UFOs or UAPs, are they national security threats? Are they aliens? What the hell's going on? We have a report coming out. Could be any day now, could be uh, tomorrow. And uh, when some of these events were happening over uh, Kirtland, it was quite a, quite a serious thing that made it into the newspaper. In fact, one of these incidents, the uh, when the sightings took place, the power went uh, completely off and uh, off everything went offline at the Albuquerque uh, airport there, which is a huge, you know, pretty big uh, hub airport for that uh, period. So that, you know, these uh, threats of uh, unidentified objects, UAPs, they call them, uh, in it, unidentified aerial phenomena are not uh, new. And, you know, during the uh, 70s and 80s, uh, particularly, they had a lot of these, they you know, called them incursions over military bases. That's the common theme. A lot of these things happen over uh, military bases. More recently, you know, with these sightings or over aircraft carriers adjacent to those or close to them. So that, that's kind of a common uh, theme. But um, so what was going on at uh, Kirtland, this was um, the late 70s into the 80s when a lot of the stealth aircraft uh, testing was going on. And a lot of it was going on there at uh, Kirtland. That's some of the stuff that uh, Benowitz was seeing as well as I told you he was picking up these signals. That was later as far as I've uh, been able to term determine a lot of people who've looked into this, they were testing these uh, laser communications with satellites. And so Benowitz was uh, picking these up and it be became a uh, concern with the uh, officials there at uh, Kirtland and the security uh, people. They weren't so much concerned about aliens. They were concerned with Benowitz. Was he, and was he, you know, he was uh, capturing all these signals and what was he doing with them? Was he figuring out how this uh, classified program worked with communicating to satellites? Was he passing on this information to, uh, uh, you know, uh, spies, uh, Russian nationals, uh, Chinese nationals, a lot of those uh, Russian and Chinese spies at the same time were infiltrating or uh, interacting with uh, different UFO groups. Of course, uh, Benowitz belonged to those type of uh, groups. And a lot of people involved in uh, ufology and with these UFO groups at the time also worked in the civilian aviation industry. So you can see how these things uh, all overlap. And so as this was going on I, at uh, the uh, AFOSI, Air Force Office of Special Investigations, in which uh, Doty belonged to, there at uh, Kirtland, started this counterintelligence operation. And that's, you know, that's the disinformation campaign. That's one aspect of a counterintelligence operation. And they started this to find out what did Benowitz know? What did he figure out about all these things he were was filming and 
making recordings of. And uh, as, as part of this, this is where Dodie's role comes in there was uh, feeding uh, these alien stories to uh, Benowitz in the hopes that he would, uh, for instance, call a press conference and uh, say there's an alien invasion going on and basically uh, discredit himself. Uh, he didn't necessarily have a press conference, but this is kind of what happened to uh, Benowitz over uh, time and he uh, ultimately uh, kind of went uh, off his head with all of this uh, stuff and he had to be committed to a mental uh, institution for a uh, period of time. One aspect of this information aimed at a target group or an individual, which is to have them float an idea that will later be disproven or you know considered absurd and making them lose some sort of respect in the eyes of the public or whatever, but then also to weed people out, correct? Like also to float information to, to see who, who, who takes it or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that, that's exactly, that's what Dodie got into trouble uh, for. I mean, a lot of this is uh, pretty murky and we don't know things uh, for sure, but I've been, uh, Greg Valdez has written a pretty good book on this. The Dulce uh, story was uh, Gabe Valdez's uh, son. And that's uh, what he said that, that when uh, there was one point in like in 84, that was around 84, it was after all, there was a uh, FOIA released in the early 80s where Dodie got kind of uh, busted for uh, leaking bits and pieces of classified uh, information. Some of his, you know, some of this information was uh, that he passed on to other researchers. You know, there was nuggets of true classified information in there mixed up with all the uh, alien uh, stories. And, so, and uh, according to Greg Valdez, that's how Doty got in trouble, lost his, uh, ranking as a uh, special agent and eventually ended up in the uh, mess hall there at uh, Kirtland. But um, let's see, where was I going with this? So, um, and so that kind of brings us to the, uh, this is all related to the uh, Dulce story because that was part of the uh, disinformation passed on to uh, Benowitz. So let me give you a little thumbnail of what the, uh, what Dulce base is or supposedly <laughs> allegedly was. And, uh, and, you know, and if you, I guess if somebody went and Googled Dulce base, they'd come across stuff that uh, basically said this, it was a rumored underground installation that uh, was a joint, uh, venture part of a secret treaty between uh, aliens and the US government. It's in the area of uh, near Dulce, Hikapia, Hickory Indian Reservation, an, an area called Archuleta Mesa. And uh, in this underground uh, facility, 
like I said, there was this uh, supposed treaty between reptilian aliens, I think alien greys are their helpers there. And uh, the treaty basically said that, uh, or the agreement between the government and the aliens was that the aliens would uh, share their secret uh, technology and in return, the uh, government would uh, green light letting the aliens uh, use humans to experiment upon. And, uh, and this led to these grisly experiments and like, you know, the alien-human hybrids and the vats and everything you saw later on X, X-Files in the mid-90s and other uh, films. And all of this led to, supposedly, once again, this is the legend, the fabled Dulce War, where a bunch of uh, workers, the uh, government workers there, human workers, in cahoots with some aliens, uh, formed this resistance to fight back against these experimentations, and uh, war erupted, and 66 humans uh, were killed, or 66 uh, people that were part of this resistance. Some of them were aliens, I guess. It's all bullshit anyway, but <laughs> this was the uh, story. And... Uh, from this, uh, everybody died except this guy named Thomas Castello, who was like a lead uh, worker there. He had, apparently had a flash gun that could vaporize the aliens, so he was able to hightail it out of there with uh, video footage and photographs and everything that would blow the whistle on this uh, secret uh, program at uh, Dulce. So that became the Dulce base story and the uh, Dulce War is part of that. <clears throat> but it, all of this, you know, and that, that really started in the late 80s when that information, people became aware of that, something called the Dulce Papers, which we can talk about maybe a little later if we need to. But this, go, this once again goes back to uh, Benowitz and... Uh, it really came from information that he developed uh, in the uh, late uh, 70s when he was writing these U.S. senators and uh, different uh, folks. He even wrote to President Ronald Reagan, alerting him what was uh, going on in his belief that there was a secret underground uh, base at Dulce. In fact, one of the early documents uh, Benowitz uh, writes that he sent off to one of these senators that he had knowledge of this confrontation and how the humans had abandoned the base. That's in one of the uh, early uh, documents that he sent out and that he was also, like in the early 80s, developing some kind of a space gun. So all of this stuff kind of worked it itself into the Dulce uh, base uh, mythos, and uh, another part of this is a lady named uh, Myrna Hansen. What, I'm getting into a lot of uh, details here, but you, you kind of got you to tell the whole uh, story, so. Um, that, that sort of Paul Benowitz was uh, thinking somehow wild things uh, based on strange lights that he was seeing and when he spoke to the office, the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, um, they encouraged him to keep thinking such wild things. 
and who then even sent out Richard Doty to encourage such wild thoughts. And that's kind of how this uh, Dulce-based papers mythos uh, grew some legs, would you say, from that infusion of the, you know, someone like Doty encouraging Benowitz in, mm -hmm. you know, delusion, his, his delusion. In uh, 19, May of 1980, this gal named Myrta Hansen uh, was with her son driving through Eagle Next, uh, New Mexico, uh, and she had a UFO uh, sighting. She and her uh, son, and the first thing they saw was a cow get sucked up into a, a spaceship, and then on a, like a tractor beam, and she and her son uh, shortly after were sucked up on in there and they saw a, the aliens dissecting a cow. He had a damn mutilation going on in a uh, flying saucer. And uh, anyway, she witnessed this event, whatever happened. And uh, afterwards she contacted the police there in Cimarron, New Mexico. And they didn't know what to do with this story, but they knew about Gabe Valdez. Uh, he was go-to guy for flying saucers and cattle mutilation stories. So uh, Gabe Valdez was friends with Paul Benowitz at this point. He contacted uh, Benowitz and to see if he could be of help because uh, uh, Benowitz had contacts with his uh, UFO organization. And it was uh, Benowitz who brought in a um, hypnotic regression uh, expert, Leo Sprinkle, uh, to work with uh, Myrna Hansen, and they did this regression in uh, Benowitz's uh, garage in his Lincoln Town car. He was adamant they put uh, aluminum foil all over the car because at this point, Benowitz believed that the aliens were trying to beam them and tamper with their uh, regressions of uh, Myrna Hansen. Uh, Myrna Hansen remembered other incidents they had a series of regressions and one of these was her being taken to an underground base where she went under some type of medical experiment she had an implant lodged in her head uh, somewhere and uh, you know a lot of the classic uh, ufo et uh, tropes and at one Point, she broke loose and uh, she saw your, these uh, alien-human hybrids in vats. And that seemed kind of like uh, really one of the first versions of this uh, story. So, uh, and so Benowitz, he, after hearing this, uh, you know, working with uh, Hanson, now he began to believe that, yeah, it was, uh, this was, this happened at Dulce Base where she was taken to when she abducted and of course, uh, Benowitz and others uh, encouraged, uh, uh, or excuse me, Doty and others encouraged Benowitz along this uh, line that there indeed was this uh, secret base at uh, Dulce. And one of the uh, really mind-blowing uh, stories here, and this one is one minute on this session. One of the mind-blowing stories here, uh, the UFO researcher Bill Moore was in the middle of this uh, too, and Moore talked to Alan Hynek, who's famous in UFO circles. He worked on Project uh, Blue Book, Source for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. According to Hynek, who was still under uh, contract with the UF, US uh, Air Force at that 
uh, point in time, he uh, passed on a computer with uh, software to Benowitz that would allow Benowitz to communicate uh, with the alien. And so, yeah, Greg Bishop was the first one to really uh, talk about that little uh, bit of information in uh, Project Beta, which was kind of uh, controversial that, uh, you know, and people that are admirers or fans of Heineck uh, were kind of outraged, and they still are, that, you know, don't want to believe that he was involved in that. But wherever the this computer came from, and allegedly it was the Air Force who put the uh, software on that. There was other witnesses to this. I, I mentioned uh, Greg Valdez. Uh, he and his father, uh, Gabe, visited uh, Benowitz and saw uh, him interacting with this computer. And yeah, he thought he was talking to ETs and it, the software would also produce these pretty uh, primitive com uh, computer images of uh, what the ET supposedly looked like. And they were, you know, uh, insectoid uh, and reptilian uh, types. So you can see where a lot of these tropes, uh, you know, appear to have come from the whole uh, Benowitz affair, as it's uh, been called. So that, that kind of... Been, uh, of uh, Benowit and the Dulce uh, base uh, story. I mean, you know, we could get into a lot uh, deeper into Dulce base mythos, but... Uh, it's like when UFO you know. talk, you can always keep going deeper, right? Yeah. The tropes, just like conspiracy theory or similar to conspiracy theories, are just inexhaustible almost, and you can just rearrange them and, and present a different angle of a story which sounds like that is what has happened here with the Dolce papers, Dolce papers, and also the MJ-12 documents. And mm -hmm. it seems like a major player in that obviously was uh, Bill Moore, who uh, came on the scene, I guess, as you write in your book, uh, around 1980 with his book, Incident at Roswell, which became a you know big commercial success. And that also, uh, um, promoted a trope as well, correct, in that book? Well, probably a number of them, but the, the uh, crash saucers and, uh, you know, all of this ultimately led to the MJ-12 uh, papers as well, which uh, Moore was involved with. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, I mean, the Roswell crash, that's like the, mother of all the UFO uh, crashes now, I guess, but it, it appeared to be, uh, I mean, there's similarities there with the Frank Scully story in Aztec and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the same things. And, uh, and as, you know, as far as the witnesses, the original witness, uh, Marcel, Jesse Marcel was interviewed at, by uh, Stanton Freeman Friedman, who was a research partner of uh, Bill Moore, and, you know, the original accounts, uh, Marcel, who went and uh, looked at the crash and took pieces away, he was like a, a Army intelligence officer. Uh, none, none of those early accounts talked about ETs, those only later did, 
new ET with witnesses supposedly, you know, emerge uh, backing up the uh, Roswell story. But, uh, and uh, the deal here is that, uh, you know, so 1980, the incident at Roswell uh, comes out. So this, this is becoming a pretty big story. And at that time, uh, Moore was out uh, doing promotion uh, for the book when he was contacted by this shadowy figure later known as Falcon who's this intelligence officer who said he was impressed with uh, Moore's research. Uh, he uh, thought he was a sharp dude or whatever. Maybe he was uh, just uh, playing up uh, to Moore to uh, you know, uh, basically to uh, bring him into this uh, tangled web that uh, later became the uh, Benowitz affair. But uh, what he offered more at that time, uh, this is like 1980, was a deal that uh, Falcon, who claimed to be a government intelligence agent, a uh, pretty high level one, would share classified UFO material with uh, more if more would assist in uh, helping them monitor infiltrate might be another word uh, the uh, ufo movement ufology the different uh, ufo groups because once again he had concerns there that he had all these a lot of people involved in ufos were also uh, civilians involved in like uh, different aspects of a lot of these classified uh, programs like the stealth uh, bomber at that time or the space uh, shuttle. And so uh, Falcon wanted more to uh, keep track of what was uh, going on. What were these folks talking about? What were the stories in ufology? And um, it was uh, through that nexus that more began interacting with uh, Paul Benowitz around that time too, and uh, passing to uh, Benowitz sometimes uh, dubious uh, UFO uh, documents that uh, suggested a uh, you know, alien invasion, these type of things uh, going on. So the, you know the, those were he had those connections, and so in uh, nineteen eighty four the documents called the MJ-12 documents appeared out of nowhere. Uh, well, they appeared to come, they had a uh, mailing address of Albuquerque, New Mexico, but nothing else. And they landed on the doorstep of a guy named Jamie Chandray, who was uh, Bill Moore's uh, research partner during that uh, period. And what these documents ended up uh, being, or what they claimed to be, were these uh, classified things about this group called MJ-12, Majestic uh, 12, that delivered a briefing to President Eisenhower in 1952, and it uh, talked about, uh, confirmed supposedly the Roswell crash and a couple of other UFO 
crashes and that this MJ-12 group was in charge of the extraterrestrial uh, situation and it, that uh, they had taken an alien in captivity at uh, one point and that they had uh, put together some type of uh, treaty with the uh, alien. So all of this uh, happy horseshit was in these uh, MJ-12 documents and subsequent uh, documents that came out, which, you know, interestingly enough, confirmed the Roswell story, which was a, you know, Bill Moore's book. Later, uh, these, uh, the FBI uh, got called into it, uh, and they were, you know, trying to figure out uh, what these documents were legit, were, you know, the, these classified documents that had been illegally leaked. Ultimately, the FBI uh, came to the conclusion they were bogus, but uh, they never could find out uh, specifically where they came from. But, and so this became a part of this overall arching story, you know, about this the secret treaty with the aliens, and that kind of plays into all these uh, other stories, the Dulce, uh, base story, uh, Area 51 had a lot of the same legends that there were aliens there underground, underneath the uh, facility, some type of base, and all these bases you know, especially the late 80, Area 51 were having all of these uh, sightings, and and so the government, it appears, or, you know, people uh, associated with uh, intelligence agencies like John Leary became pretty prominent as a ufologist during that period. He had intelligence agency uh, background that uh, they were basically pushing these uh, ET memes and tropes to kind of this confuse and muddy the waters of what was going on with all the uh, secret testing of craft during this period. And once again, putting out the uh, at times, uh, different information they would leak to different people like Moore that would put it in the UFO research uh, community. And some of it was legit information about these uh, secret programs. And they wanted to see, you know, like uh, pass on some, uh, for instance, this is just like uh, an example, pass on a uh, photo of what was alleged to be a UFO, but it was actually a secret government uh, craft and, you know, pass this to maybe like a Russian spy and to see what his reaction was if he actually knew that it was a government uh, craft. Those, those type of things, that's all part of the spy craft, you know, to find out what other people uh, know, to confuse them about what actually was going on with the secret uh, testing to interject the uh, alien thing in there to uh, release phony uh, documents for one reason or another. And, and one thing I thought was very interesting in the book as well was when you were speaking about Bill Moore and Shandera's uh, MJ-12 document drawing um, was that how they sat on the information to maybe research it and see how much of it might have been true. But while they were sitting on it, they were told, or at least Moore was told, that 
okay, you're taking too long. Someone else mm -hmm. is going to release it, the UK researcher, Timothy Good. And, um, you know, that, that being an interesting sort of, that also maybe being a technique as well, right? Like, uh, yeah. Colin Wallace has called it the double bubble technique. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and you see, well, part of that, it's kind of with the uh, Dulce Base uh, story when the Dulce papers got released in 88. Uh, this guy right about Tal Levesque was involved with that and promoting the story and writing uh, other stuff under a pseudonym of Jason Bishop that had to do with the Dulce based story, but then he was sharing this with other UFO researchers at the time. And all of these like a half dozen different researchers were getting this Dulce based material, but they were putting their spin on it. And all of these very different stories all to seem to confirm the same story, but it was, you know, Talavesque and John Lear too, he played a role in really creating this mythos and you have all these other people who are working with him wittingly, unwittingly sometimes to uh, be like this echo chamber of uh, repeating this uh, story and putting it out there to different uh, uh, venues. So it looks like you got a bunch of in independent sources uh, confirming a lot of these uh, stories and really they're, you know, just <laughs> coming from one place. Right. And, and maybe a very good example of that was the 1989 MUFON conference. Uh, I don't know if it's split or if they all spoke, but as you wrote in the book, you know, there was, uh, along with John Lear, who organized it, I think, or he was, played a big part in that 1989 uh, MUFON conference, mm -hmm. but also uh, Bill Cooper was there, maybe Linda Moulton Howell. Um, yep and uh, Bill English, and then lastly, you know, putting on the show of the night, uh, Bill Moore and his famous uh, speech, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what, what happened there with, with, with that particular conference? Like, why, why was that such a significant moment in this whole charade? Well, things were kind of coming to a head with the Benowitz story. Uh, prior to that 89 uh, MUFON uh, conference where Bill Moore spoke, and get to that in a little bit, but prior to that, there was this thing I write about called the Crestone Conference, which was a year or so uh, before that. And this was all for like, it wasn't a big conference like MUFON. It was just more like a get together with uh, this core of UFO uh, researchers and John Lear and uh, Linda Howe and uh, David Perkins and a number of others uh, came together. And I, I originally found out about this interview. Bill Moore was talking about this conference where the whole uh, Benowitz Dulce base story uh, came together and they were all sharing information about this. And out of that uh, really came they, they devised, they being uh, John Lear in particular, what, what the Stolse base story would be and how all these elements that later, uh, you know, 
like the Greys, that came out of the uh, Benowitz uh, story. So that became part of the story and with the uh, underground base. And supposedly they had information from this lady, Anne West, uh, confirming the Dulce base story. And so uh, this really, uh, that was like 87, this Crestone uh, conference. And David Perkins, who was there at the uh, time, uh, remembered John Lear wanted to put together this like mission statement, uh, basically about the current state of affairs in ufology. And the thing they could, uh, one thing they agreed upon was that UFOs, one way or another, were involved with cattle mutilations, but that was basically the consensus. Lear wanted to take it farther with this whole thing about an alien invasion and secret treaty and all that, and the rest were going, well, uh, we can't really go for that, you know, but that, that, but that became uh, John Lear's uh, thing, and wrapped into this was this uh, Benowitz information, and uh, right after that Crestone conference, uh, Lear visited the Benowitz for a few days and uh, something happened there and it, not really uh, clear, but uh, they had some type of uh, falling out and... Uh, Maybe they got abducted together. <laughs> no, well, Benowitz just left ufology for good after that. He, uh, you know, uh, wouldn't talk to anybody, got rid of his phone number there and it was like something happened between him and John Lear. There's some... Uh, theories, but I think the bottom line is that Lear kind of uh, co-opted the whole uh, Dulce uh, story and maybe uh, I know some of later uh, Benowitz's material materials ended up in other places and uh, Lear seemed to have a role in that. So something, something went on there, but uh, what I'm getting to is that a uh, year later, 88, is when the Dulce papers were uh, released, which told this whole story I told before about the secret underground base and the uh, Dulce War, etc. And uh, Lear was a big uh, promoter of this, and this was what was going on. He had also written a paper called the Lear Statement. This was back in the days of the old uh bulletin board, user groups. And so these these were the big stories in ufology uh, during that uh, period about the Lear statement, how there's an alien invasion. This was kind of repeated by Bill Cooper. And this, you know, it had to do with, once again, Dulce Base, the secret treaty, how the aliens were abducting uh, humans and even they needed the, uh, to create these hybrids because they were a dying ET race, even stories that uh, the uh, ETs were drinking the fluids of uh, human children to stay alive. You know, this sounds like, <laughs> Kurt, you know, mm -hmm. me tropes that go back to uh, anti-Semitic stories, you know, and some of the aliens had big noses, according to Bill Cooper, but... Um, so anyway, all of this was going on leading up to that 89 uh, MUFON uh, conference. Uh, and uh, Lear had a big role in organizing that. And that's when uh, 
more, I guess. He had enough, didn't want to be associated with this. He was on the ground floor of the Benowitz affair story. But what he basically laid out in his presentation, uh, he uh, came clean, said he had been part of the uh, government uh, operation and his role to this kind of monitor ufology. But but he was also he claimed that he never knowingly fed uh, Benowitz bad information. Uh, who knows? But also in this speech, he pointed out how Lear, he didn't name him directly, but it was obviously who he was talking about, and Linda Howe as well, who he didn't name directly, but it was obvious who he was talking about, were pushing these bunk stories that were basically based on uh, Paul Benowitz going down the uh, deep end and believing, you know, all of this was an alien invasion uh, that was uh, working out of the Dulce underground base. And so that became a big, <laughs> a big deal in ufology there. And of course, uh, Bill Moore afterwards became a uh, pariah and soon after left the field for good. Right. And uh, yeah, I think some of the footage was captured in the uh, great documentary Mirage Men. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Greg Bishop has uh, written about it and spoken about it very well as, as he was friends with Bill Moore. And as he said, he was working in the merch booth. Yeah. He said he should have probably sold rotten fruit outside uh, because <laughs> of the reaction from the crowd. What I really like about the book is that you, you're, you're in the community. You were, you know, mm -hmm. you're a embedded journalist, if you will. And um, it, it shows, you know, that, that this, you know, you, you are presenting these criticisms with a certain amount of care or sympathy that sometimes so, you know, at least for so many years, the UFO topic was just so taboo and, you know, something that people scoffed and laughed at. But here we are now, you know, no UFO shaming. There's less UFO shaming going on now, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but how important um, it is for this, this new generation of searchers or whatever to know the history of domestic disinformation campaigns that have been filtered and run you know, and aimed at anyone who's interested in this topic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's something called UFO Twitter these days. Have you seen that? <laughs> Haven't. I, th I think I've seen you uh, talk about them a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can be pretty uh, snarky too, but that, that's part of the um, looking at the history and living through this a few times. I mean, every uh, decade you see the same uh, stories, you know. Again, again, it's going to be uh, UFO disclosure. And yeah, going back, uh, like I had my own crazy experience and, you know, growing up, um, I wanted to believe. And, you know, I grew up in that close encounters and in search of and all of, you know, those type of uh things were an influence on me and uh, living through these different uh, eras in ufology, all this, uh, the uh, MJ-12 stuff and the Dulce base, and these continue to resurface all the time. They, they, they get uh, entered into this other story with it's going on with TTSA and that uh, uh, 
UAP report and all that, you still have elements of uh, MJ-12 in the uh, story when, uh, you know, DeLong first got into this uh, or became involved in talking to, uh, emailing John Podesta in like <laughs> 2015, whatever it uh, was part of the information he had to do with uh, MJ-12. And it's like, people, really? Wait a minute here. Take a step back, you know, before you uh, invest a lot of uh, belief or in money into this. This is one of the things they're promoting is that uh, the MJ-12 uh, Roswell's uh, saucer crash was a real uh, story, you know? So you see these tropes come up uh, time and again. The folks who are kind of new to this story who got into UF ufology, UFO Twitter here in the last um, few years are un unaware of, uh, don't have knowledge that, you know, this game has been played <laughs> before yeah and, and it's amazing how some of the players are still the same you know like how you described that next yeah. and jody i mean john lear is still around you know um uh, that's that's what i was telling uh did an interview uh about a, a week ago and they were asking me okay what's up with the, the uap report and all this and i said well to understand what this UAP report is, you need to go back to 2017 with the launch of uh, To the Stars Academy. But to understand that, you need to go back to like uh, the early 70s when uh, Hal Pudoff, for instance, a uh, scientist, kind of pseudo-scientist, had done government stuff, was working on this uh, Stargate project uh, which had to do with remote viewing, you know, Yuri Geller, these people, psychics, they were uh, testing. And, you know, that ended up, uh, was a CIA funded uh, experiment through, uh, you know, a front group called the Stanford Research Institute. So uh, Hal Pudoff is one of these guys who have been around uh, for years and in the 80s, he became part of the aviary, which was this group connected to Bill Moore and Doty and John Alexander and these same characters during that uh, same period. Alexander, who was with the military, had a similar group within the government that called the UFO working group that were looking into uh, UFOs. So you had uh, all these characters back then pushing for UFO disclosure or some people weren't sure there were different agendas. Uh, some think it was a disinformation campaign, who knows, but uh, this group of people evolved in the mid nineties to be uh, part of uh, Robert Bigelow, uh, the entrepreneur, you know, uh, who's uh, as a space, uh, aerospace company, but also involved in researching Skinwalker Ranch and uh, UFOs. And they kind of uh, took over MUFON or uh, were able to get a lot of the data from MUFON during that period, Bigelow, and 
part of this uh, group, uh, Bigelow started to research all this stuff uh, called NIDS, National Institute of Discovery Science, had these same players that were in the aviary, Pudoff and John Alexander, Doty was allegedly involved at one time or another. And that feeds into the whole TT, uh, TTSA uh, thing because those same players are, uh, some of the same players are inv involved with uh, TTSA. Uh, Bigelow seems at least one time or another was somehow involved with these uh, guys, according to the original New York Times uh, story is probably, he probably was uh, some dark money behind the To, to the Stars Academy and all of this, <laughs> it's continued. Uh, they've been able to manipulate the uh, media and keep this story for going. For what agenda does this have to do with aerospace contracts, perhaps uh, one of the Key players is Christopher Molt, uh, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Mellon, who we saw on uh, 60 Minutes just recently, is tied in with uh, Harry Reid, who is tied in with Bigelow. Mellon's been a lobbyist uh, after serving in the uh, government high level position. So part of it looks like a lobbying campaign, part of it was like. Uh, getting stuff out, uh, you know, some media stuff, yeah. creating content, television shows, this or that. And other things are, you know, when you originally reached out to me, uh, Stephen Greer was calling it a PSYOP. Maybe there's multiple agendas uh, going on here and a little bit of all of that is going on with what has you know, been going on with To The Stars Academy and this, uh, what this has led up to this um, UAP report, which I really don't expect to be much, but I think uh, and the people who are promoting this narrative and the fans of this, even if it doesn't appear to be much, they'll be saying, oh, no, there's a lot more going on. You need to read between the lines. It becomes kind of like a QAnon thing, trust the plan. Right, right. Um, and um, I mean, to ask the question, what's being covered up uh, in the book, you present a story of a possible cover up, or at least you're relaying the story of uh, Nick Redfern, who seemed to investigate this um, uh, about one possibility what the whole Roswell UFO flap story might actually be covering up, as I said, and, and, and that is uh, something that was really kind of disturbing, you know, and, I, and, and uh, the notion of Fort Stanton and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, medical experiments and then basically, you know, torturous type uh, experiments on um, internees, uh, World War II POWs, some of the internees being Japanese internees, um, and uh, can you can you talk us through that a little bit? Because I think that's one of like the core elements of the book that's like mind blowing. You know? God, I don't know if I can talk you through it. Um, Who, boy? Um, well, that uh, yeah, that was one of uh, Redfern actually wrote about in it. 
a book called the uh, what the hell did he call that? The Body Snatchers from <laughs> I forget what the title was that. He's written so many uh, books, but yeah, it had to do with this uh, theory that the Roswell crash was actually they were uh, doing human experimentation on uh, uh, people with this condition called progeria, you know, the uh, uh, an oversized growth or uh, of, of aspects in one's head or, or, or that's a, something like that, right? Yeah, but they're also like children, though. They're stunted, but they're and they don't have any uh, body hair and they look kind of like uh, aliens. And that was part of the material that uh, Redfern came across. And he was working with other researchers like uh, Kathy Kasten, who's no longer around. And it, it had to do with, uh, yeah, that Fort Stanton's also involved with it and that uh, they were basically using the Roswell crash as a uh, cover experiment. Now this is as well might have been some type of disinformation because Redfern came across uh, this material from another researcher by the name of Timothy uh, Cooper who got a uh, new trove of MJ-12 uh, papers in the, uh, when was it, the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, part of it had these leads about, you know, these experiments going on at, uh, connected to the hospital at, uh, or sanitarium at Fort uh, Stanton with World War II internees, not only uh, people supposedly with progeria, but also, you know, Japanese internees allegedly, but uh, and a lot of this, this new batch of MJ-12 material, which was never once again verified, Cooper said it was the real deal, but there seemed to be evidence that maybe he concocted some of this stuff, but then it's also, uh, these papers also had some links to like uh, Russian disinformation campaigns and uh, you know, the Russian uh, uh, disinformation campaign concerning AIDS. So it's uh, another element of all of this, uh, these materials that uh, uh, Redfern was accessing. I mentioned Kathy Kasten. She was another researcher and she's passed on. She passed on her papers to uh, Nick. But uh, one of the things that she had gotten information on was that there was a uh, about a secret uh, government uh, program that was remote viewing the Roswell crash. And so that was kind of intriguing. And what I discovered uh, that uh, kind of maybe confirms this was going on is there's a remote viewer named uh, Oh, his last name's Graff. I forget his last name, G-R-A-F-F. He's one of the main uh, remote viewers and back in the uh, timeline here, it was like the 70s. He was at uh, affiliated with Wright-Patterson uh, Air Force Base and he had put together, I'm trying to remember, Del Graff is his name. He had put together a remote uh, 
viewing group kind of extracurricular activities. It wasn't on government time, but these were affiliated with people who worked at Wright-Patterson uh, base military intelligence folks. And supposedly back then they remote viewed the uh, Roswell crash. Now this was, I guess, prior supposedly to uh, Friedman and uh, Moore putting out uh, the book on the Roswell crash. And so one of my uh, theories or one thing to consider is that, uh, yeah, there was a remote viewing going on and they did remote view the uh, Roswell crash and uh, to try to confirm if the Roswell crash really happened, they whipped up some of these phony documents and put them out there in the world and to see if they could get some uh, confirmation or who would pick up on this uh, story. Viewing angle is another thing that comes up uh, repeatedly in the book and seems to be a part of this uh, whole story I read about in Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks, UFO Disinformation in the Age of Aquarius. I found that story somewhat fascinating, though, uh, because, I mean, if it is um, disinfo, I mean, it, then it's pretty good disinfo, right? Yeah. Redford said he, he, he got the FOIA documents that confirmed that there was human experimentation going on, right? Right, yeah, yeah. But as you said, though, like, it's where he got the information from to begin with. And that's always an important thing with seeking to determine, I guess, the veracity of information is who, who's telling you and, you know, what are yeah. their sources, you know? In conjunction with that, uh, Keston got into researching a lot of these different crafts they were using, the kind of dirigible type. Uh, there were different ones and more of monitoring crafts that they could uh, launch and they were uh, testing those out in the desert you know in that area during the same uh, time period when they were doing you know the human uh, some of this human experimentation and at the same time the uh, Roswell crash uh, supposedly happened once again where some witnesses claim they saw these strange-looking little bald-headed uh, guys, or you know, they could even been mistaken for uh, you know Japanese internees at that uh, time. So, yeah, who knows? It's intriguing. That I was trying to remember the name of uh, Redfern's book. I believe it's Body Snatchers in the Desert. Intriguing read. I mean. Who knows for sure, but it's uh, Nick. Nick does some interesting research, and he just, you know, takes the information he has and uh, tracks it down, you know, as far into the rabbit hole as he can. And, and like you said in the book, you know, it all started for you, right? It began and ended, I suppose, with Tal, with Tal. Yeah, and. Um, you know, he, he's another character. I mean, is he a disinfo agent? Is John Lear, are these guys disinfo agents? Or are they like just, are they bad actors? Or are <laughs> they just useful idiots? Well, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell sometimes. I mean, you know, you just don't know for sure where the uh, 
disinformation ends and the misinformation uh, begins. It's, uh, you know, it's a spooky world and uh, in that world of spooks and uh, kooks, you're never uh, quite sure, you know, who is, who is an actual spook, who is an actual kook, or who is this being used as a uh, useful idiot, you know? Well, who, who is Luis Elizondo? That's what I want to know. Why do we all have to listen to him <laughs> getting present where we're at right now with TTSA and also Bob Bigelow and the Skinwalker Ranch? And, you know, one thing, too, I guess uh, it's like the those people who ha are coming up with the theories, but then they already have platforms and mouthpieces already instituted now from Art Bell's Coast to Coast, where... George Knapp and Linda Moulton Howe were both mm -hmm. parts of that show. And they're now both big characters in this current, uh, you know, UAP flap, you know? Um, uh, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's weird that these are the same people that just, and now they just accumulate a couple new people. Now you got Blink-182 guy mm -hmm. saying, now he's involved in it. Yeah, and I think there's a good deal of astroturfing going on, too, with, uh, you know, your typical stuff that disinformation or, we say, disinformation campaigns or an influence campaign of, you know, a lobbying campaign. But yeah, you, you have a lot of these same characters. I was going to mention Bigelow before Art Bell started uh, Coast to Coast in 90, way back in 95. Uh, prior to that, Bigelow funded uh, a show called Area 2000 with Art Bell. And so there was that relationship there and uh, Knapp and Linda Moulton, how they were all in ne Nexus, they were all interacting. They're the you know, same folks uh, still engaged in this uh, story that goes on and on. Um, I lost track of what where we were taking this, but uh, how your buddy Tom, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hiding out in the Dan Aykroyd bunker at the, at the underneath House of Blues in Mariposa <laughs> County. Um, was now, he, now I, I, I don't, uh, hard to say. I mean, he's, um, he definitely gave off that, uh, spooky vibe and claimed to have been, uh, working as a, uh, security officer for a number of, uh, years. But what, uh, really came to me over time and what I believe to be was the case that, he was uh, a lot of a lot of this uh, the Dulce base uh, story that he was promoting really had to do with things he'd been involved with for a number of years. The whole Shaver mystery. He knew Richard Shaver. He put out a zine back in the day called the Hollow Earth Hassle that has to do with you know the uh, underground world, the Hollow Earth all of that stuff and the entities that lived down there. And uh, at some point he became involved in this uh, Dulce uh, base story, uh, found out what Benowitz was about. And he kind of uh, 
took all those elements and crafted his own story that brought it into the science fiction age. It was kind of like Richard Shaver's story of the Duros put into the uh, uh, modern times with the Duros now being uh, reptilian ETs, uh, etc. And so Tal, in a sense, was a uh, myth maker. I don't suspect he was a uh, government disinformation agent, but I don't know uh, for sure. He definitely uh, engaged with these lo a lot of these people who did have these shadowy background. But what I think I was going to say, the overall Dulce story, you know, which is the story of the Dulce War and the heroic security worker Tom Castello was really a based uh, composite character based on Tal himself and uh, Paul Benowitz. And I, t I talk about that in the uh, book and I asked that uh, to Tal a few times was, you know, uh, Thomas Castello a real person, you know, and or was he a composite character? Said, no, no, he'd always tell me, no, Castello was a actual dude and that uh, Tal knew him in uh, Santa Fe, et cetera. And I, as I uh, document in the uh, book, it's like in the uh, appendix, I kept uh, bugging Tal <laughs> about this for years and years. And he finally just had enough. And he said, you don't get it, do you? Thomas Castello was a made up uh, character because I had a, uh, larger story that I wanted to tell. I wanted to make, uh, and in a sense, he wanted to make uh, the whole UFO story more romantic and uh, uh, sexy again. And so by weaving into all these elements with the, the secret underground base and Dulce and alien hybrids, all of which he had a uh, large role in propagating those uh, myths uh, did indeed take on a life of its own as we uh, saw, you know, as once again, I mentioned the X-Files and all these stories now are embedded in uh, UFO culture forever. Yeah, I mean, I guess before we leave, uh, you know, one last aspect that you, you tie into the book when speaking about disinformation, and this is another big thing of today, um, you know, uh, most of what was that ufology uh, mythos that was being created was during the Cold War, right? So as you said, there were, um, you know, Russian and Chinese uh, uh, spies seeking to get um, information about uh, aviation technology and stuff like that. Um, but then also on the other side of it, fighting the intelligence war, the KGB, creating a number of different conspiracy theories, uh, targeting uh, the American population, um, you know, for instance, well, like you have in the book, Operation Infection, which was a big thing in the mid-80s where KGB floated through fake news, um, the, the idea that uh, AIDS, HIV was, was created inside a laboratory in Fort Detrick, Maryland, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. and, and so what you also put in the book was that some of these MJ-12 documents uh, because there's different iterations of the MJ-12. It just keeps getting reinvented and rebranded. So the newer MJ-12 documents 
seem to have uh, elements of a um, operation infection feel of a, maybe a, a you know, it's no longer the KGB, I don't think. Is it? Is it the KGB still? I mean, it's no longer the Soviet government, right? But there's perhaps the, 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 the waves of um, foreign uh, disinfo being aimed at Americans, you know. So now we're in this age of, you know, you got the domestic info being uh, aimed at America, you know, and then foreign disinfo being aimed at America. You know, like Robert Anton Wilson said, you know, don't panic. It's reality that's malfunctioning. <laughs> You're not crazy. <laughs> like, they want you to fucking feel crazy, you know. And, um, but very briefly, could, could you just add a little spice on that, the operation infection uh, element of in your book? Well, what uh, Redfern uh, picked up on and I'm trying to remember the exact connection, but a lot, a lot of the uh, stuff that came out of this, this iteration of uh, these, M, these new MJ-12 papers, first of all, they came from a uh, supposed uh, intelligence officer with the last name of Cantwell, C-A-N-T-W-E-L-L, which was kind of an odd name and uh, later became evident that a guy named, uh, I think it was Dr. Alan Cantwell <laughs> is the only person with a name close to that. And he was the propagator of a lot of the, uh, these theories back uh, during that uh, period. He picked up on all this uh, Russian disinformation about uh, AIDS being uh, supposedly uh, cooked up in a lab so that there was that angle to it that uh, there's a possibility that it was actually Alan Cantwell, this uh, AIDS uh, hoax or this AIDS conspiracy theorist that was behind these uh, MJ-12 uh, docs. And what also appears in these uh, documents is a lot of the, the typical uh, Russian uh, propaganda uh, but it's coming from the mouth of aliens sometimes how the uh, aliens are chastising the uh, American uh, government for their uh, things they've done in the past, the genocide of the Native Americans and uh, African Americans. And, you know, of course, all these things happened at one level or another, but all these elements are also used in disinformation campaigns, as we see, you know, currently with like uh, people trying to paint, uh, uh, cause these divisions in uh, society, basically between, uh, oh, you know, with the race relations and, uh, you know, claiming that Black Lives Matters are terrorists and these type of stuff are all, you know, this same type of, uh, it's the same type of uh, playbook, basically, you see in these uh, disinformation uh, campaigns. So basically, that's what Redfern was picking up on some of these, some of these later MJ-12 materials that uh, it, it might have been just a uh, 
test case, you know, a lot of times they're just throwing these things out there and seeing if they'll get picked up on, like the, uh, the project or operation infection. Went through a, a bunch of different iterations. And uh, early on, it, as I recall, it started with uh, a, a, uh, some type of uh, publication that was in, out of, I uh, can't remember, Africa or somewhere that was actually a KGB fronted uh, news outlet, but nobody knew it was Russian. Called the Patriot in India. Okay, the in, and uh, Patriot in India. And so they floated it. They used that uh, publication, which was a, uh, ba you know, basically a front for a KGB Russian disinformation. Nothing happened, as I recall, for a couple of years. Then they pulled it out again. Uh, later dusted it off and uh, published the same material, maybe in a Russian outlet, but they quoted, you know, the uh, Patriot from India, like they were quoting an outside uh, source. And so, you know, that's one of the things in the uh, playbook. And I talked about, like, you know, the UFO disinformation as well. You can do the same thing and kind of happened with a lot of the information Tal was promoting, he would uh, feed to people and they would repeat uh, the same stories he gave them with different twists. So it looked like you had multiple independent sources confirming this, you know. So, you know, that's part of the uh, playbook as well. All right. Yeah, man. What a great interview. What a great show. Adam Go Rightly. Man, that guy's got the knowledge, huh? Whew. Well, check it out, man. You want to hear more of uh, Go Rightly's works? Definitely check out his website. It's very simple and easy to remember. It's adamgorightly.com. A-D-A-M-G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y.com. And if you want to read his books, Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks, definitely check out his publisher. It's published by Daily Grail Publishing. Um, you could go to their website, dailygrail.com. Uh, they have his book prominently displayed, as they should. And uh, they're a pretty cool site, man. You know, they, they got uh, an interesting perspective as well. You know, a skeptical eye towards the UFO phenomenon, but also a skeptical eye towards the skeptics, which uh, is pretty good. It's pretty good to do. You got to stay skeptical these days. You know, a lot of bullshit out there, folks. Also, if you like the show, you like the interviews, you like what I'm doing, please check out my websites, see what I'm up to. Uh, as I said before, I just finished my book, uh, Chapel Perilous, The Life and Thought Crimes of Robert Anton Wilson. It should be published uh, within the next year, I hope, by my publishers. Until then, uh, you could check out what I'm writing about Robert Anton Wilson at that website, chapelperilous.us. And also check out my uh, music page. It's propanon.com, P-R-O-P-A-N-O-N.com. I just got into making some cool uh, mashup videos, and I've been posting them onto the website, so you could see what that is. And uh, until next time, this is Propanon, y'all. Stay well, stay healthy, stay wise. Peace. <laughs>